In this week's session, you'll learn about one of the most comprehensive books I've ever seen on body weight training. And you'll hear about it from the author himself, gymnastics expert and coach, Stephen Lowe. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, where we bridge the gaps in strength, performance, and injury prevention. My name is Scott Ardella, and welcome to episode number 221. Now, as I just mentioned, in this week's episode, you're going to hear from Stephen Lowe, who is the author of an incredible book called Overcoming Gravity. By the way, if you're wondering how I read so much, we talk about books a lot here on the show. And if you're interested in my personal tips and strategies for super learning, stay tuned as I have a major article coming soon that will explain my exact methods and strategies. This will be a very helpful article on reading and learning strategies that I've never really shared before. And this is something I'm asked a lot about, by the way, so I thought that I would write it up and share it on the website. Now, I recently decided to pick up the second edition of the book Overcoming Gravity, and it is really an amazing piece of work, unlike anything I've ever seen in the area of bodyweight strength training. Stephen does an exceptional job bringing together a lot of great information about gymnastics, bodyweight training, progressions and programming, and in strength training in general. So it's a book that I highly recommend without a doubt. What's interesting about this interview is that Steve is a graduate from the same physical therapy school that I went to. Stephen is a physical therapist, and we talk a little bit about that in the beginning, and Steve shares his experience in physical therapy school and what he saw as some of the gaps in his education. Now, before we get into the session, I did want to take just a minute and follow up from last week's interview with Donnie Thompson. And during the interview, I talked about how I had just got a device called the Boomstick, which is a portable body tempering device. And uh, Jay Nags from Instagram asked for feedback about this since I had posted a photo on Instagram of the Boomstick some time ago. Now, I do like this tool and I have used it for soft tissue work prior to and a little bit post training. Uh, use it for uh, basically working out some muscle soreness and for stimulating the muscle tissue, kind of uh, waking up my quads prior to training. And I definitely think that this is a nice tool to get started with body tempering. If there's a downside to the tool, I found that uh, you do need to obviously have a partner to manipulate the tool, especially if you're working on your back, for example. If you want to use it for deep uh, thoracolumbar tissues, hamstrings, glutes, uh, traps, middle and lower traps, things like that, the muscle groups that are on your posterior chain, then you do need to have a partner to manipulate the tool. And uh, I train by myself in my home gym. So this has been one of the downsides that I've experienced with uh, this specific tool uh, with body tempering because I have to have someone to use it on my, my posterior side. Now, I do use it a lot for my anterior chain, for the muscles on the front of the body. And for that, it has been great, as I mentioned, with uh, quads and uh, calves and uh, even some of the uh, uh, pecs and shoulders 
doing some different uh, techniques there. And uh, again, I do like to use it uh, prior to training for a few minutes, and it is a really nice tool for that. So just want to share a little bit of my perspective on the tool. I think it is an awesome tool, but uh, you do need a partner to use it on your posterior chain muscle groups, obviously. So again, the tool is called the Boomstick, and it is a nice introduction to body tempering techniques. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes, and you can check out uh, everything that we discuss in this week's episode in the show notes for this episode, which will be found at ardellatraining.com forward slash RT221. Again, all the links and resources are in the show notes, and you can find that at ardellatraining.com forward slash RT221. And uh, one last thing, hey guys, I haven't asked for this in a while, but if you enjoy the podcast, if you like the show, please make sure to drop in a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It's very easy to review the show. The five-star ratings really help the show to be found and help to grow the show. So please take a minute to do that if you haven't done this already and help get the word out about the Ardella Training Podcast. I'd appreciate it and... uh I'd be very grateful. So let's jump into the episode this week, and I will circle back at the end after the interview. All right, Stephen Lowe is the author of the book, Overcoming Gravity. Stephen is a former gymnast and coach who has spent thousands of hours independently researching the science of health, fitness, and nutrition. He holds a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and a doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Maryland at Baltimore. And coincidentally, the uh, University of Maryland at Baltimore is the school that I graduated from as well as a physical therapist. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being here. And if you don't mind, let's actually talk about your experience at UMAB and your experience as a physical therapist. But tell the audience a little bit about what it was like, your graduate school experience at University of Maryland. Um, so, I mean, in general, the PT school was very good. Uh, they covered all the different uh, variations of uh, classes. So, you know, there's anatomy and physiology, there's uh, clinical stuff, musculoskeletal, neuromuscular. Um, in general, I, I think it was pretty much a standard PT experience um, in the sense that it very well prepared you for the uh, national board exam. And Overall, I think that's what most PT schools try to do in yeah. general is basically prepare you for the exam and give you all the basics uh, to prepare you for a clinical career. Was your PT was your PT school experience what you expected going in? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Talk about well, one of the questions I have I've asked a couple of guests on the show that are physical therapists and strength coaches is did you see any educational gaps in your training as a PT and could anything have been done differently in your experience? Uh, not enough focus onto current research since research has, you know, pretty, there's studies coming out every year about, uh, you know, new randomized controlled trials about different research, whether in like tendonitis or, you know, like ACL rehab or joint, uh, you know, joint replacements and protocols for that. And uh, it's important to keep up with the research. And I think 
although there was some, you know, like current research topics and even a small little course that we went through in PT school, it would be nice to have uh, just a lot of integration with uh, what the current research is saying um, versus uh, some of the old uh, modalities that may not be as effective anymore. So with research, are, are you saying that, I mean, looking at what you do today as, as a coach and as a professional, are you doing a lot of extra things in terms of reading and staying on top of the research yourself? And so are you saying that in school, maybe getting um, training in educational research really wasn't there as much as it maybe could have been? Is that what you're saying? Um, somewhat. I, I do think there was uh, like a decent portion that was there, but I think okay. a greater emphasis could be put on it because, you know, once you're out practicing, you're not thinking in the like school mindset where you need to, you know, get into the research and see what it says about, you know, evolving what you're doing to best fit your patients. Um, there is like, you know, you have to get uh, continuing educational credits, but that's not really significant in the grand scheme of things. Right. Okay. What, do you have any quick advice for uh, strength coaches or uh, even clinicians that are listening to this to uh, to stay on top of the research? Um, I personally go through PubMed and or like just Google the things I want to research about. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of you know research reviews out net by various people. Um, you know, examine com has a lot of stuff on nutrition as well. Like yeah. you can, there's, there's just a lot of resources out there if you just go look for them. Yeah. Cool. Um, what, what would be your big advice? And I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the, the PT, uh, school experience. I did want to ask you a couple of questions about it, but I really want to get into the, the meat of the interview and really talk about your, your work in your book. But what would be your big advice for an aspiring physical therapist that is hearing this? And as I just mentioned to you before we even started recording, you know, I do get a lot of questions from, uh, you know, young coaches or, you know, young people that are interested in, um, you know, becoming a clinician, a physical therapist. What would be your big advice to them? Um, so mainly, basically the same thing I was saying. So basically continue to study on your own time because that's when, you know, you're going to learn more information that is going to help you refine and continually progress your practice. Um, and then also definitely pay attention to what other physical therapists and or strength coaches and doctors and everybody else is saying. Like, look at what they do, see how effective it is with their patients and you know, if it is effective, you can incorporate in that into your uh, plans as well. Excellent. So you are the, uh, I, I've certainly had other physical therapists on the, the show here, but you are the first guy to come on that is a graduate of the same school that, that I went to. So that's, that's pretty cool. And as I mentioned to you, I had a really good experience at University of Maryland at Baltimore. I don't know if I've ever even shared where I went um, here on the show, but that is the school that I went to. It was a great experience, uh, learned a lot. And I felt like I really came out as a, as a, a good clinician. And, uh, certainly the school doesn't teach you everything. There are so many things that you need to just get out in the field and learn, but it was, it was really a good experience. So Stephen, uh, beyond the, the physical therapy experience, I talked about how you were a former gymnast and a coach 
give the audience a, kind of a big picture about your background and, and kind of your passion that led to your amazing book, which I'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Um, so when I was younger, I did competitive gymnastics uh, from a young age until about as a teen. And then from there, I quit and actually took up some ball sports like baseball, golf, um, and a couple others. So I actually have a very broadish background. Okay. Um, and then once I got to college, uh, I participated with uh, Gymkana, which is the, an exhibitional gymnastics troupe, uh, both coaching uh, kids in the summer camp, as well as um, doing it myself and performing. And then from there, I also dabbled into parkour for probably about seven years. I still do a little bit, try to get out and uh, move well throughout my environments. And then uh, more recently in the past about four years, I've started up taking climbing, uh, specifically bouldering, as one of my main activities. Got it. So you, you like a lot of the uh, outdoor activities, it sounds like. You like to get out there and climb and, and do things outside. Uh, yeah, th- like training in the gym and gymnastics is nice, but uh, getting out and experiencing uh, the environment and you know, nature is also fun as well. Nice. Steve, how does your background as a physical therapist, a clinician, how do you feel that helps you as, as a strength coach? Overall, I think it helps in staying healthy and basically finding ways to progress by staying healthy. I'm sure everyone who has taken like weightlifting or bodyweight strength training seriously has gotten in trouble with some type of injury, like maybe overuse injuries or had some type of strain. Um, I found it that the my physical therapy background has had that, always had that concern in the back of my mind to, you know, keep things safe, keep things effective, and, you know, get people to their goals without getting them injured. So how do you think that maybe more specific, how does the clinical side of your knowledge uh, apply to what you do. Let's let's just talk about your own training, for example. How does that help you train better, knowing what you know as a physical therapist? Um, mainly in terms of like, so progression. Um, usually, progression in bodyweight exercises is done by um, decreasing the leverage or changing the body position of the exercise instead of uh, traditionally with like barbells or kettlebells, which is increasing the weight. Um, So when you change the leverage position, there's a lot of stress put on the connective tissues and joints of the body because um, either the arms are straight or it's at a weird angle or, you know, the body isn't used to a certain position. And so the connective tissue and joints are more easily aggravated. So, um, you know, when looking at it from a clinical perspective, obviously, these positions have a greater potential for overuse injuries and or other injuries as well. Um, so just keeping that in the back of your mind as you're designing a program and implementing any prehab work to stop you, basically prevent you from going needing rehabilitation. Got it. And have you, have you had any major injuries yourself? Um, I've had a couple um, 
one was from doing something dumb in parkour where I like super badly sprained my ankle and that led to overuse in the opposite leg because of compensation. Okay. Um, and then I've also dabbled with, uh, had some bouts of tendonitis and uh, shoulder pain as well. Okay. What type of, ten- what super type catastrophic. What type of tendonitis? What, uh, medial epicondylitis and a little bit of shoulder impingement. Okay. Anything major where that turned into like a chronic issue or how, what did you do to resolve that? Let's talk about the, uh, elbow epicondylitis issue. What, uh, how, how do you, uh, how did that resolve? Um, so generally speaking, laying off the aggravating exercise is like the number one thing that you sure. need to do to <laughs> avoid making it worse. Right. Um, and then also adding in some isolation work usually as prehab. So, uh, either eccentric, well, I didn't use, eccent- I didn't know how effective eccentrics were at the time, but I would do that now if, uh, I had it again. But, um, what I did was, uh, basically forearm strengthening, uh, with, uh, the rice bucket and some antagonist work like with wrist curls. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned the word, uh, prehab in there. What, what do you consider, uh, prehab exercises? Maybe something that, that you're doing right now? Um, so for something like uh, preventing tendonitis, so say if you're talking about body weight isometrics like uh, you know the back lever, the front lever, planche, all those tend to put a lot of stress on the elbows because of the, their straight arm movements. Um, and you know with longer uh, limb motions, there's more torque at the joint. Um, so Things like biceps curls, high rep, not to failure can be a good prehab exercise to make sure the tendon's getting some low, low volume, low intensity stress um, so that, you know, blood flows get in there and you're working it uh, on a low level so that you're not overusing it in the, the long run. Okay. So bicep curls and with a dumbbell, barbell, what what is your... Uh, I, I prefer preferred. dumbbells, but preferred. barbells also work. Okay. All right. All right. Let's, let's actually talk about the book. So, uh, and let me just give a little bit of a, a snapshot on, on the book overcoming gravity. Um, I got this book about a month ago. Uh, this book is nearly 600 pages. Uh, one of my favorite books that I've talked about quite a bit on the podcast is the book by Greg Everett, the Olympic weightlifting book, uh, the mammoth book, the third edition that he's done for coaches and athletes. And I think it's the really definitive book on Olympic weightlifting. I think that that your book is really like the body weight version of of Greg's book, and that is it is just a extremely comprehensive, well thought out, well researched. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything you would need to know about body weight training and progression is in this book. I, I literally had no idea the book was, was this good when I bought it. I mean, I, it's funny because I had seen this book for a while. Uh, I had seen the first edition, which I, I don't have. Uh, but when I saw the, the latest edition, I got it. Um, and I was just blown away I'm, and I haven't read it all yet. I mean, I haven't read all 600 pages, but I have gone through skim through, uh, a lot of the material here, read some of the chapters and it is really, really amazing. So let, let me start out and ask you this. How does the second edition uh, differ from, from the previous work? 
Okay, so <laughs> there's actually a lot of differences. Um, main one, the the page length didn't really differ. It's like it went from about 530 pages to 600, um, but there was a lot of empty space in the first. Um, so when I looked at the word count, it actually went from about 165,000 words to 250,000 words. So uh, basically, one 50% increase or so in words. Wow. Um, and wow. All of that was mainly in uh, much more detail about, you know, the scientific principles um, added in all the information on scapular positioning for all the exercises. Um, I looked at added more thing, more explanation for things like body part splits, um, how to put together a routine, more details about all the specific parts of routine and how they fit in together. Um, I added chapter 10 completely, which was is basically the methods of progression chapter. So uh, to ensure that plateaus aren't, aren't an issue. So there's, uh, I think, 15 plus different ways to progress in that chapter um, between inside of progression. So like, you know, you're working up your reps and then also between progressions. So, um, you know, going from like a tuck planche or tuck front lever to a advanced tuck or a straddle back lever or planche. Okay. So you added a lot of content to, to the book. When you wrote the book initially, what, what were you trying to do different? Because there's a lot of books out there in the area of body weight training and calisthenics. What were you trying to do differently that hadn't been put out there? already um so i think when the book first came out it was actually one of the first books and i was just trying to detail detail it in terms of uh my main goal was to look at programming and specifically um, because there's a lot out there already on exercises like drills and skills uh b skills jim bathurst um there's a lot out on uh, like detailing progressions and, you know, different exercises you can do, but there wasn't a lot about how they put together a routine to progress effectively. So that was like the main thing I was looking for in making this book. And then um, the main thing I was looking for in the second book was mainly to um, basically lay it out for beginner better because uh, the first book uh, was more, I wanted to have it for beginners, but it ended up being, you know, like I didn't explain a lot of concepts that well. So a lot of people were getting confused uh, much more easily. So I tried to lay it out so that someone who has maybe very little background in exercise or fitness uh, could get a better handle on how to do that for themselves. Got it. For themselves. You mentioned the... Uh, <laughs> progression there. So I wanted to ask you what, if you had to really kind of simplify this question, what is the key to progression? Um, so that's actually a tough question, but overall <laughs> I, I would say that it's consistency. Um, and with any routine you do need to be consistent with your exercise. So um, if you're not getting in the gym, if you're missing, you know, one workout every six workouts, okay, that's fine. But, you know, if you're missing like three to four workouts out of every six, you're missing, you know, most of your workouts. And 
you know, one, one time a week frequency, you're not going to progress effectively. Um, but once you get past the consistency, it's mainly about uh, progressive overload. So uh, going back to that basic concept is basically um, the body accommodates to the demands that we put on it. So, you know, if we're lifting, say, 100 pounds, it's going to get easy after a while. So you have to um, progressively overload the body by either increasing the weight on the barbell or, you know, building up the reps uh, with body weight. Um, it's moving between progressions and then uh, progressing within those progressions as progressions as well. So let me go back to that. So when, when you're talking about consistency being the key to progression, do you mean, I guess, kind of big picture, just training in general or training yeah. very training in general, but what about training specific to, uh, you know, let's say you're trying to do a handstand push up, for example, or a freestanding handstand, which I actually want to ask you about a little bit later. Okay. So you want to know like how to progress with a particular exercise? Correct. Okay. So let's take, uh, the one arm up, for example. Um, if somebody, somebody can do say, you know, five regular pull-ups, um, generally for, uh, body weight, there's two different progressions you can go through. Uh, the first is weighted pull-ups, which are still a body weight exercise technically, right. um, where you can add weight, work your weight up, work, uh, the weight up progressively, say in between five and 10 reps up to about 70, adding about 70, 80, 90% of your body weight to the pull-up and then practicing the one arm chin. Um, otherwise, in general, you'll work up your reps for pull-ups to say 10 and then move on to a slightly harder progression like an L-sit pull-up or uh, Y-grip pull-ups um, and then work up your reps in that progression and then move to a harder progression such as, you know, like Y-grip, L-sit pull-ups and then work through that and then move towards something like archer pull-ups where you keep one arm straight while pulling up to the bar. Um, and then you can work uh, exercise such as uh, one arm eccentrics where you're slowly lowering your down, yourself down in uh, one arm or either assisting yourself slightly with the other arm by like reducing the amount of fingers you're using or using a towel that's lower than the bar. And then eventually you'll get strong enough with the eccentrics or assisted reps to work up to the uh, full one arm gym. Can you give an example, maybe something you're working on right now where you're trying to progress with an exercise, what that might look like? Um, so I'm actually doing fairly minimal training right now in regards to uh, progressing um, and I'm mainly focusing on climbing. Okay. Um, but with, I am still training uh, my one arm chins to get up to what I was previously at. Um, so what that looks like for me, since I can already do a one arm chin is I will generally, um, you know, warm up to the volume. So do a little of assisting with my other hand and then depending on how many reps I'm up to. So right now I'm up to about three again, um, in the, in the one to three range, it's actually pretty difficult to get enough volume. So one of the ways I do it is, um, so if I could only do one, I would start working on, uh, you know, one rep, you know, rest three to five minutes, then another rep, then rest three to five minutes, then another rep. Once you get up to about five reps, 
can start to condense the rest time until the rest time is, you know, two minutes, one minute, 30 seconds, and 15 seconds. And then by the time that, you know, you're down to 10, 15 seconds, you can usually do two reps in a row. Um, so then you can do clusters of those two reps um, with rest in between them and then work at decreasing reps until, you know, you have the three. And then once you can do three, generally you're strong enough to uh, do the volume for uh, however many sets you need. Okay. Um, there's alternative progressions to that, which are, you know, you do a rep of one arm and then you do an eccentric after that to train, you know, the kind of strength endurance for the next rep. Um, but, you know, that's that's another progression you can look at. How do you determine what what is the appropriate progression? Um, in general, I think as you learn your body more, you'll get used to figuring out your rest time. So for me personally, I tend to like, you know, about three to five minutes between strength, uh, depending on the exercise. If it's super intense, maybe up to five to seven. But, you know, as you get more experienced with exercise, you learn how to modulate your rest times better. Right, right. So that just goes with training experience, <laughs> training age. Yeah, and, and, and you can look at, you know, like, okay, it takes about three minutes to replenish 99% of ATP in the muscle. Okay, so that's like scientifically back research that says, okay, you need this, you need to rest that much if you don't want to be limited by your muscles. So we're talking about progression and programming. Uh, what, what do you think are the biggest mistakes specific to progressions and programming, if you had to say, that most people make? So I would actually say uh, too much too soon is the major one that I've seen. And what that means is, you know, people always want to jump in and do everything at once. So they want to train handstand. They want to train, you know, plant, back lever, front lever. And then they also want to train the basics, which are, you know, push-up progression, dip progression, handstand progression, um, you know, rowing and have a pull-up progression as well. And, you know, doing, you know, eight, 10 plus exercises, that's not even counting legs and core. So you're doing all those exercises Obviously, your body is not going to be able to handle it right away. So um, in general, I like to start with less and then, you know, see how you do for a couple weeks. If you're progressing, that's great. Um, but if you're not, then you can always add more. And this differs from, you know, starting with too much because if you start with too much and you're not progressing. Well, are you doing too much or are you doing too little? You know, is your you have the uh, increased potential for overuse injuries, like yeah. how you don't really know it's wrong. Um, so the second mistake in bodyweight training that I usually see is paralysis by analysis. And people get this because they go about researching like all the things about the exercises, how to put them together, and then they expect to, quote unquote, make the perfect program. Um, and there really is no perfect program. And what I like to tell people is that a good program is what you want to start with. You know, you don't have to make things perfect. Just getting started with, you know, a solid program is good. And the main thing about training is you need to learn what works for you and what doesn't work. And you only get that by doing. 
Um, so what somebody, you know, this ex expert recommends for you and what I recommend for you and what another person recommends for you might be different. But even if it is like, you know, the best thing for 80, 90% of the population, that might not be you. So if you find out that, okay, this way of training or this method of programming doesn't work effectively for you, then you can, you, you know that, so you can modify your own training accordingly. So if you get paralysis by analysis and, you know, you aren't training because you're trying to create the perfect program, then you'll never know that because you'll never know that program doesn't work for you or works for you because you never did. And then the, the third and most obvious mistake with body retraining is just lack of consistency. And, you know, you see that people get into training because it's fun or because of whatever reason they lose motivation, but, and then their progress is, you know, just mediocre. So just be consistent with your training. Uh, even if you, you know, you get hurt or you an overuse injury, you can always work around that. You can always, you know, remove that particular exercise that hurts and replace it with an exercise that doesn't hurt and, you know, do rehab uh, under a qualified medical professional on the side. Um, so, you know, getting out of consistency with training is also one of the big things that um, plagues a lot of people because, you know, there's tons of people in sports who, you know, they get injured and then they, you know, sit on the couch because they're injured when it, where they could have, you know, kept training other body parts um, and been doing rehab and gotten back to the sport, but then they get stuck in the, you know, couch potato lifestyle. And then a couple years down the line, they wonder what happened. So don't let that, what wondering what happened be you. <laughs> cool. So the three mistakes are too much too soon paralysis by analysis and lack of consistency uh, overuse injuries. What are the most common overuse injuries you tend to see with body weight training? Um, so mainly, uh, since most of body weight in body weight strength training is upper body focused. Yeah. Uh, the main ones are like wrist elbows and shoulders. So with shoulders, generally you'll see either pain in the front or the back um, and or rotator cuff area. Uh, for elbows, you'll see both uh, medial and lateral epicondylitis, so tennis, el tennis elbow and golfer's elbow. Uh, usually golfers or medial epicondylitis more. Um, you'll also see some biceps, tendonitis, uh, distal, so closer towards the elbow. And then also in the wrist, wrist pain, uh, generally from overusing the wrists and like handstands, else it's if you weren't used to placing your hands, placing a lot of weight on your hands before. So like best job to lots of L-sits, handstands, you know, putting a lot of pressure on the wrists. Is yeah. Do you think there is a, uh, a most desirable exercise that people want to do? Like, is there, is there one exercise that you think most people want to do that maybe they do too much too soon too fast that's a good question <laughs> i think the most obvious one is handstands okay um because you know people see a handstand and they want to do it the like most of the other exercises that people want to do but can't like say the one arm chin up or front lever they require you know a lot of progressions 
and diligence to work up to. So you you usually ne- won't necessarily see somebody getting an overuse injury from those right away. Um, it's usually where you're getting to higher progressions and the stress on the connective tissue is more where you'll start to see that happen. Um, but handstands, um, because it's not super strength-based and more like balancey skill-based, you'll definitely see a lot of people getting uh, uh, wrist overuse from doing too much handstand work. You know, so the, the freestanding handstand was the exercise that I did want to ask you about. So, cause I, I, I feel like that is one that, you know, people want to be able to do is a, is a freestanding handstand. What's maybe your simple step-by-step progression to be able to do that? So there's, I would say there's five main phases that you want to work through. Um, the first, the first phase is, you know, just getting comfortable upside down. So this is where you can, if you're like a total complete beginner, you can jump up to the wall, pick up to the wall with your back to the wall and, you know, just work on getting comfortable upside down. Um, when you're on the ground, you can practice uh, rolling out of, you know, doing like a forward roll and or, and or a headstand forward roll and getting comfortable with rolling out a skill or cartwheeling out of it. Um, and then once you get once you're more comfortable with that and you want to progress to the stomach to wall handstand. Um, and that's where you put your feet on the wall and then you walk your hands back up to the wall. And uh, the stomach to wall is great for developing the body positioning or the body line, quote unquote, um, for a gymnastics handstand, which is all of the joints stacked straight on top of each other. Um, so once you develop that line uh, effectively, so where you can keep a rigid straight body. Um, the handstand is primarily balanced with the wrists. So you're, you know, pushing forward on your fingers to make sure you don't tip over forward. And then you're putting weight onto your palms so you don't tip over backward. Um, so once you're fine with the stomach to wall phase, which is the second phase, you can move on to the third phase, which is starting to balance that handstand away from the wall. And generally what I like to tell people is to work up to a solid, you know, 15 to 30 second hold, you know, you can consistently do that. Um, and then start to try to work on kick the fourth phase, which is kicking up uh, when, away from the wall and trying to hit the handstand position because, you know, once you're using momentum to kick in that position, it's actually pretty difficult now because your head just, you know, done it static against the wall. And then um, along with that in the fourth phase is you want to do more off the wall, uh, wall handstand balancing still. So you can work up to, you know, 30 to 30 seconds to a minute to get that handstand really locked in solid. And generally when you get to, you know, 30, 40 seconds against the wall, you have a pretty good feeling of how the handstand is going. And so the, you know, the fifth, phase, which is the freestanding handstand, you'll start to get those longer holds uh, in freestanding, which are five, 10, 15 plus seconds. So that's a nice five <laughs> step, five phase progression. I believe that is completely outlined in your book. I'm not, not outlined like that, but they are in there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question I've asked a couple other guests too. Um, what do you think the most, and, th- and this might be really obvious, uh, maybe not, maybe not to you, but 
the three most valuable body weight exercises for most people are what? And also the why behind that. So I would say for like, I'm going to give you two different, uh, three. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I would say for like every day, every day, just like, you know, if you, so every day easily to use strength, uh, that would be your squats, your pull-ups and your dips. Yeah. Okay. If you can do those, you can pretty much almost do anything or at least learn everything. Uh, because, you know, parkour has, you know, climb ups in it, you know, you're pulling yourself up on top of a ledge, um, squats, if you're professional squats, you can get off the floor easily. You can, you know, squat down and do things. Uh, you can pretty much, you're pretty much mobile and are able to do almost anything. So, um, so, so you, you said a dip and not a push up, right? Just to clarify. Yeah. Okay. What, why, why, um, why a dip versus a push up? So dips are a little bit harder, but they're more akin to the upper body squat, if that makes sense. Um, they're able to reliably build muscle in the upper body, and they give brute strength to pretty much anything you do. Like, you know, if you're getting out of a swimming pool, it can be difficult unless you're proficient with it. Um, and then my other list was uh, for overall, like, gymnastics body weight strength fundamentals definitely handstand is one handstand and handstand variations um muscle ups which is a combination of you know the pull up and dip and then if i had to pick another exercise i don't have any legs one so probably pistols okay as okay. a general leg strengthening exercise i, I do recommend barbells over body weights for leg strength and hypertrophy, but sure, sure. Uh, if we're just going body weight, then pistols. Excellent. I, I love the answer, by the way, I was really curious and I, I actually thought about what would be my answer as well. And I like the way you kind of segmented that into two groups, you know, for kind of the, the recreational exerciser basically, and then maybe for more someone advanced, you know, here's are the three that would really be most beneficial for that group as well. So awesome. So, you mentioned barbells there. So let, let's go with that because that was a question I had for you as well is, uh, well, really the question goes for the person that's training with, with barbells and then the, the other person that is training a lot with kettlebells. Uh, what would be maybe your recommendations for integrating body weight training into the kettlebell modality and then also maybe let's talk specifically with barbells, maybe body weight training for the power lifter and for the weight lifter. Um, okay. So there's a definitely a bunch of ways to do this. Usually if, so if you have a main priority that will generally guide your training more than you're just trying to throw stuff together. So like if your main priority was, a body weight with supplemental kettlebells, then you would do something one way. Or if you know your main one was powerlifter with supplemental body weight, then yeah. so uh, it's more easily. Yeah, let me clarify yeah. that. Let's go off the second scenario. So the the supplemental, you know, the powerlifting focus, supplementing with body weight training. What do you think is an ideal? And what I'm asking here is with all three of those things, what is the ideal maybe 
supplemental way to integrate body weight training? Um, so there's a couple ways to do that. Um, in general, so if powerlifting was your main uh, sports or discipline of choice, you, you can't get around doing you know your squat, your deadlift, and your prep, your bench press. Um, so in general, for the exercises, you would look to either complement or do some sort of assistance or supplemental exercise that is body weight. Um, so complementary exercises obviously work the same muscle groups. So like weighted push-ups with bench press. Um, there is some carryover between them and brute pushing strength uh, between them. Um, but oh, well, okay. So alternatively, uh, you can also use it as kind of a off exercise where you know if you're shoulders are kind of beat up from bench pressing you can sub sub in weighted push-ups to where they're may not they'll they're definitely not as rough on your shoulders but still get the same sort of uh movement pattern work um and then alternatively there is you know assistance slash supplemental exercises and um, these are exercises where you're working the same muscle groups, but it may not necessarily be the same movement pattern. So any isolation work could fall under that as well. So like with dumbbells, um, with bench press, you could do some type of, you know, tricep extension or, uh, desk flies for to supplement the muscle strength in that particular area. Um, with body weight, it would probably be something along, along the lines of like, Dips, which help to build you know, brute pressing strength in the chest and triceps, um, or even like handstand push-ups, which have a huge tricep focus and uh, anterior delt focus. Let me ask you about the pistol, pistol squat that you did mention a little little ways back in a few minutes ago. Um, what do you think is the? I'm trying to figure out the the right word for this. What would be the biggest value of of someone doing a, a pistol squat? in your opinion? I mean, is it, do you consider it a feat of strength or is it maybe something that is, is really essential that we should be able to do at, at will, you know, where if we're not training it, but we should be able to do that maybe to demonstrate a certain level of strength and mobility. Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah. So I don't think of a pistol squat as necessarily like a strength exercise unless say you're very overweight. Uh, most people can work up to it pretty rapidly. The most generally the limiting factor on it is uh, mobility or flexibility. So people don't have good mobility slash flexibility in the hamstrings, uh, in the hips, in the calves, ankle. They're not going to be able to reliably do a pistol squat. So um, it, it, if you start weighting it, you know it, it can be a decent strength exercise, but it is a good exercise to be able to do in terms of, okay, there's a combination of good flexibility and mobility and, you know, you can move your body weight well. Um, a lot of body weight training is about learning to manipulate your body well in space and, you know, to gain, gain, gain good movement patterns and, you know, to have fun. So, People, people like pistol squats for all those reasons. So should someone be concerned if they, if they are unable to do a pistol squat? 
concerned. I mean, it, it really depends on what you're focused. Like, yeah. uh, a really huge powerlifter, you know, high weight class might not be able to do one, but do they, do they really want to do one? Um, in, in general for like the general population, I would say that it would be good for them to, you know, be all be able to do a pistol squat, um, and you know, squat effectively as well. Yeah. So for the general population, would you consider it kind of a good screen? As far as a screen, yeah, you could say that. Um, it, there's definitely a good flexibility, mobility component and strength as well uh, that a lot of people don't have. Switching off a little bit and going back to something you mentioned earlier as well is, uh, is shoulder health and um, kind of optimizing shoulder function. So first of all, how do you define shoulder health and uh, what are some key things uh, to consider in minimizing shoulder problems specific with, with body weight training? And maybe we should really talk about intermediate and advanced level body weight training here. Um, so for sh- I, I mentioned shoulder health in the book, and generally what that means to me in that context is keeping pushing and pulling exercises balanced. Um, so my little story about this is that I was doing a lot of pushing work when I start when I started uh, strength and conditioning for gymnastics. I was doing like lots of push-ups, dips, planche training, handstand push-ups, but I didn't have a lot of like pulling. I, I did pull-ups, but nothing like rows or anything. So I started to develop shoulder pain in the front of my shoulder because you know may not necessarily be like imbalanced per se. But there was definitely overworking there without hitting any of the back of the shoulder. Um, so in terms of what I recommend, I generally recommend that people have at least one horizontal rowing type of motion in their routine uh, to make sure they're hitting, you know, the scapular muscles, scapular retraction, um, and then also posterior delts, all the back muscles that help to balance out and have a better posture for uh, any athlete that is training. Um, So basically keep pushing and pulling exercises similar. If you already have done too much pushing, maybe you go to like a three to two, two to one ratio of pulling and pushing Um, the horizontal rowing. And then, uh, scapular and or rotator cuff prehab if needed. So usually that, that would be specific cases where, okay, you may not have good scapular strength in retraction or depression because, you know, with desk jobs or so used to doing protraction and elevation, um, and then rotator cuff, if rotator cuff's getting overworked. What, what do you like for rotator cuff health specifically? Is there an exercise or a couple of exercises that you really like for optimizing the strength of the rotator cuff and, and balancing cuff strength? So the rotator cuff in, with internal rotation gets a lot of it from like the sprawling muscles. So although I, I like it, you don't necessarily have to do a lot of it to get uh, good internal rotation um, because the lats and the chest are internal rotators. 
Um, so overall, specific focus onto external rotation, uh, hitting the tears minor and infraspinatus are good. I like a couple different exercises. Usually doing it is more important than the exercise, in my opinion, but um, Cuban presses uh, where you're rotating the barbell overhead are good. Um, external rotation with the, if you're, so if you're sitting on a bench with your knee on the bench, um, put your elbow on the knee, that type of external rotation is good where you're bringing your hand from in front of you up to the side to, uh, to make a kind of uprights motion. Um, and then arm at the side, external rotation is also good as well. So, so you like a lot of these specific external rotation strength type exercises. What about kind of static holds and maybe dynamic movements, for example, like a, a Turkish getup? Do you like those type of things as well? Yeah, th those are good as well. Uh, I don't use them personally, but like as, as a specific like shoulder stability exercise, they're effective. So that would go towards, you know, a, a different type of, you know, injury. It's not just, you know, you're, you need to correct an imbalance. This is where like you have loose ligaments and or, you know, laxity in your shoulder and or you've subluxed or dislocated your shoulder before adding in uh, specific stability work can be, definitely be effective. Okay. All right. Steve, when did the second edition come out? Uh, the second edition came out last year in December. So December of, uh, 2016. Okay. Yeah. Looking back now. Okay. Um, is there anything that was, was left out of this edition? I mean, you, you had the previous edition, you did the second edition looks like an incredible body of knowledge here. Is there anything that's looking at it right now? Is there anything that's missing from this version of it? So there's a couple <laughs> things that I wasn't actually able to add. And then I, maybe a couple things that I forgot. So the the book is 600 pages and the limit on printing is like 630 pages or so so obviously there's more bodyweight exercises than i could have just added in this book so i go through about four pages of progressions um, for handstands for pushing pulling and then multi-plane movements uh, each with about eight, nine, 10 progressions between the pages. So there's definitely more body weight exercises than that. I didn't even cover things like uh, ring flies, hanging leg raises, um, and all these other things are good progressions that you can <laughs> use to, you know, do body weight. Yeah. But yeah. I, I only added say, so I missed out on, you know, like hanging leg raises but I have L-sit and ab wheel and then a couple others. So like there, there's definitely a lot of different exercises not in the book that can be used effectively in bodyweight training, but just don't have room to add everything. Uh, I, I think a comprehensive bodyweight book by itself would probably be about a thousand pages or more. So Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then also one of the things that – I didn't know, well, I, I wouldn't say I would, didn't know, but I wasn't thinking of at the time would be um, looking at training in terms of like 
uh, maximum recoverable volume right. Um, right. MRV versus uh, minimum effective dose. So um, in general, most biological systems have some sort of bell curve where there is, you know, a dose that is optimally effective somewhere between that range, somewhere between the minimal effective dose and the maximum recoverable volume, there is a optimal dose to progress while also saving your body some sets so that your recovery is better. Right. So talking about that would have been good as well, but (laughs) it's hard to cover every single thing in a book. And, uh, that is really the art and science of, of good training, good programming, what you just talked about. What is the number one thing that you hope that readers take away from the book? I mean, there's a lot of information here, but what is the big, the big idea that you hope that people take away when they get this book? So the big idea that I think that most people should take away from the book is that it's a, if you've ever heard the, I guess, parable or maxim, uh, if you teach a, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Right. So that's the main thing I, that's the main thing I was looking at going into this book, um, basically to teach people how to fish in terms of bodyweight strength training. And when I, when you look at most of the books out there, they have, you know, a lot of different exercises and progressions and they may even talk on nutrition a lot, but what they usually don't have is a lot of teaching about how to program effectively with body weight exercises. And that's really where my book shines. So really what that says to me is it's about empowering people to really understand the essence of, of programming specific to body weight training. So that's, that's exactly. Awesome. Steve, I, I have to ask you this, but can you talk a little bit about the, the book writing process, because this is such an incredible book and how many words did you say it is? 250,000 words, right? Yeah. A quarter okay. million. <laughs> so how did you, how do you do this? How does it work for you? Do you write every day? Do you write in the morning? How, how did you get this book done? Cause it's amazing to me. So when writing this book, it took about 18 months to write the first edition and then it took about three years to write the second I generally personally think that editing is much harder because, you know, you're trying to take something and then refine it into something really good. And then for me, just getting my words down on the paper, getting a thought down on the paper is pretty relatively easier. Um, So that's why it took longer. Uh, I think for me overall, I tend to write in bursts. So, um, you know, one week I'll be writing, you know, 40 plus hours and another week I may be focused on a little something else and, you know, be writing a little less than that, maybe like 20 hours. Um, but overall, the key to, you know, writing effectively is just to sit down and do it. So even when you don't feel like it, you just need to get down and do it. Actually, I wrote the first edition while I was going to PT school. And it, it, actually, in the back of some of my science classes, since I have the background in biochemistry i yeah i had already seen you know the concepts before so i was actually sure. typing a bunch in the back of the, the pd class uh, wow. writing writing the book wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the second version 
uh, that took you three years. What was the the process like there? Was that a, was that a, so you said it went from 20 to 40 hours a week and was that every day you tried to write at, at the same time? So it, it just depended on the sections. So with exercises, uh, getting down updated information into them and, you know, writing down scapular positioning, that was just like, you know, sit down, force yourself to do it. Um, there was an actual, there was actually a lot of brainstorming that went into the structure of the book. Um, since first edition had a vastly kind of different organization in terms of, I just kind of threw everything chapter by chapter as it came to my mind. Um, the second is formatted uh, specifically so that, you know, you gain an understanding of, you know, basic science and progression principles in the first part. And then the second part's how to construct that routine. And then the third part's about, you know, other factors uh, that relate to training and then sample programming. So it's much more organized and it took a long time to brainstorm the specific sections and then move stuff around from section to section to match what uh, had to be in there. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Another question about the book is, what are the coaches or the other books out there that, that influenced your approach and your system that you put together in overcoming gravity? What are, what are the big ones? What are the big influences on you? Um, so most, so I learned a lot about programming from the old mad cow website that was used to host it on GeoCities, which is obviously now defunct. Yeah. Who's what, web hosting service that is now defunct. Okay. Um, most of the programming type structure was learned there. Um, and then I was also on drillsandskills.com, which still exists, uh, which has great um, gymnastics categorization and like skill info. Um, so if you're interested in learning like humbling type movements, uh, apparatus, uh, dynamic movements like kips, back hip circles. That's a great place to check them out. Um, I was on there discussing with a lot of the coaches about, you know, how to progress with different exercises. Uh, and then also like my coaches in gymnastics. Okay. Uh, in, in general, I would say that, you know, most coaches, like most gymnastics have gyms have your coaches who do things in a certain way. But uh, most of the progressions are pretty common knowledge, uh, like from gym to gym. So just learning everything from there and then integrating it with uh, programming information uh, on periodization really was the synthesis there that helped get me started to write the book. I'm looking at a few of your recommended resources in the back of the book. Uh, one of the, one of them is super training and I'm, I'll just ask you, what, what is your feeling on super training? Um, is that a book that you, you got a lot of value from and do you recommend that book? I've asked other guests that same question. I've got kind of mixed reviews. So curious your thoughts on super training. Um, so I have a resources page on the website and I put it in like the advanced section because it's very dense book about training and you know, it's also very comprehensive. Um, so in general, there's other books I'd probably recommend before that, if you want to learn specifically about programming in particular, 
but like if you want to know like every little facet facet about you know programming and other things like that then uh, that would be a good one to go to what would be your book on programming um, in general programming for strength do you have that? um so Practical Programming, yeah. Mark Ripito's book, is a pretty solid beginner, intermediate type of book to get you a foundational knowledge about how to do it. Um, and then there's also ones uh, by authors like uh, Dad Sjorski, uh, Tior Bampa, Eric Shansky that have a lot of stuff out on uh, periodization as well. Excellent. So... Your book, I got it on Amazon.com. Is there anywhere else that uh, you want to refer people to to check out the book, or is Amazon the best place to get it? That is the only place to get it. At the okay, so, right. um, it is available on like Canadian Amazons and European and UK, so you can also check those out. Okay, but uh, I'm working on getting the second edition or the second edition uh, EPUB slash PDF edition Got it. ready to go, hopefully within the coming months, but okay. we'll, we'll see. <laughs> do, you, do you like uh, EPUB books or Kindle books and things like that? Do you, or do you prefer physical books? Uh, I prefer physical books. Just there's nothing like having your hand, but yeah, I do yeah. too. I do too. I recommend <laughs> the physical books all the time, but uh, <laughs> I have to highlight and write notes and margins, all that kind of stuff. So, where is the uh, the best place to find you online and connect? So I'm at stephenlow.org and also on Reddit at uh, reddit.com slash r slash overcoming gravity. Those are the main two places. I also have a Facebook page, uh, which is titled off my previous website, Eat, Move, Improve. But if you want to contact me, going through stephenlow.org or the Reddit page is the best way. Excellent. Um, I do ask uh, a couple of standard questions as we're wrapping things up and we, we talked about books. We just talked about books, but is there a book that you recommend the most to others or the book that has really had an impact the most on you? Uh, doesn't even have to be a fitness book. I was actually going to say practical programming, but okay. we, yeah, we covered that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I that's it. from the traditional starting strength, uh, book recommendation, but uh, I would say practical programming for the non, non-traditional. Final question. And this has been a great interview and I'm really excited and honored to have you on the show. And again, I'm really happy that I uh, finally decided to to get your book because I'd seen it for a while on Amazon and, and got it. And uh, I really, really think it's amazing. So I hope that the the listeners here that are into bodyweight training and even for the hardcore strength enthusiasts that are doing other modalities and they want to figure out the best way to incorporate bodyweight training. This is the book. And like I said, in the beginning, I think a lot of Greg Everett's book, Olympic weightlifting, and that's kind of the Bible in that, um, area for Olympic weightlifting. And I see this as being that book in the area of bodyweight training. It's absolutely fantastic. So with that, what is the number one takeaway action for the audience here today as we wrap up? So if you're ever thinking about getting into bodyweight strength because, you know, it looks cool or it's awesome for strength or you just want to move better or manipulate your body in space, just go do it. There's a lot of resources on the Internet. Uh, 
Reddit.com slash our bodyweight fitness r slash bodyweight fitness. I, I mod there, so they have resources that are free, like the recommended routine. Um, and then even if it's not my book, there's also tons of information out there about you know getting into bodyweight training. People I, I've never really seen anybody who has started doing bodyweight training like regret it. Whereas, you know, <laughs> people in other sports or with weights, some do regret getting into that. Yeah. So it's an enriching journey and it requires, you know, hard work and consistency, but it's fun either way. Yeah. Yeah. Bodyweight training is, um, I mean, I, I really, for me personally, I, I like, you know, barbells and kettlebells and bodyweight training always fits into my programming and it really comes down to just fundamental things that are always being, um, supplemented or, or added into what I'm doing. So, um, it's awesome. And again, I congratulate you for such a tremendous resource and thanks for being here today, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, guys, thanks for listening to the show this week. I appreciate it. I hope you got value from it. Please be sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join and become part of the community and you'll find some free training resources there as well. I appreciate you being here for episode 221 and I will see you next week for another great new interview coming your way. So stay tuned and I'll talk to you again soon. Have a great week. Take care.